0: Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Good morning. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 2 verses 4 to 17. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees and trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden there were were the tree of in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree the tree of knowledge and of good and evil.
1: A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It it winds through the entire land of Havala, where where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Eshur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die.
2: When I asked them to read scripture, their first question was, "Is there any weird names?" <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, Batman is one of my favorite comic book superhero type of figures out there. I, I really enjoy the Batman story, some of the like mythology around like Gotham City and all the different characters that are there. Uh, recently, I, I had Batman Begins on the, the 2005 Warner Brothers film. I can't believe that's almost 20 years old now. With Christian Bale as as Batman, uh, but there is a scene. It's a rooftop scene. He rescues Rachel and this like little kid, and and then uh, Rachel she says, "Wait, at least tell me your name." And then Batman replies in his Batman voice. I won't do it here, but <laughs> it's not who I am underneath, but it's what I do that defines me. So I want you to think about that. Do you agree with Batman? Does that sound right? What you do, how you perform, your achievement, is that what defines you? Are we human beings or human doings? For many Americans, we are saturated with work. Even in retirement, there is a sense of of activity, like that we are just we're on the go we're very saturated with with work uh, for some historical context way back in the the early days before america was america and the puritans they were known as not having much fun and they worked a ton in fact puritans and other other groups up in new england the the new england uh, congregationalists they helped uh, carve a pathway uh, They helped develop this so called American work ethic. The values of hard work, perhaps discipline, that that self reliance, personal responsibility, like like that got baked in in the early days of of the American conscience here. These these are some of the values that helped shape, shape America. And today, I believe it is well documented that Americans work longer hours and we take less vacation days than the rest of the world. We have expressions like this. We work for the weekend. We work like a dog. We work our fingers to the bone. And we even work our socks off. Work is even described like a drug. Workaholism. Do we have any workaholics here, or recovering workaholics? <laughs> if we're not careful, work can even consume us. Perhaps you know what it's like to just obsess over your job, your, your work. Even when you're not working, your brain is still thinking about work. And for some of us, whether we absolutely adore and love our job, or we're in a, a lousy situation right now, and we, we kind of hate it, so, sometimes it doesn't matter if you love or hate your job, we're still just stressed out about it. Okay? And then things get really twisted is that this job that we're stressed out about, it, somehow it becomes the coping mechanism for us. We we soothe ourselves with more and more work. This this might be a reality for you that work is the problem and solution to stress. It's a cycle. In fact, Arthur Brooks wrote for uh, The the Atlantic about a year ago, he reports, long hours on the job can temporarily ease the symptoms of depression and anxiety, and that there is compelling evidence that some people treat their emotional problems with work. Now, if this sounds good and normal to you, that's a red flag. Okay? (laughs) This is a problem. It's not supposed to be this way. Work is not... Work is not a drug. Work is not to be an idol. It's not supposed to be this way. And so, in an effort to talk about Sabbath, we are in a Sabbath series. In an effort to talk about Sabbath rest, we need to talk about work. So, 98% of this message is all about work, but it still fits within the understanding, the overall umbrella category of, of Sabbath. And so it's my goal today to do three main things. To give you a vision that work is supposed to be a good thing, but something happened that leads us to this, the second thing we're going to talk about is that sin has messed everything up. And then three, we're going to bring it all to Jesus today. And so let's recap from last week. Please know that Sabbath is God's idea. It's baked right into the DNA of the cosmos. Uh, The Bible teaches that God created for for six days, and then God takes a rest, a seventh-day rest. He takes time to enjoy His very good creation. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. It means to cease, to stop. It also means to, to celebrate. It is a day to remember, The wisdom is there. Take time to remember it. And how do we remember it? We keep it holy. And so, yes, as we take a look at the Genesis account, we see that God is a, a worker. God is a worker, but God also takes time to rest and enjoy. And so as we read Genesis, we see that humans are made in the image of God. The image of God. So let's check out a passage in Genesis chapter 1. Let's check out the passage on humanity. I'm going to read verses 26 to 28 here. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then there's a poem. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Humans, we are made in the image of God. Were made in the image of God. Image means icon, reflection, likeness, a resemblance. This word for image is even used uh, to talk about like a statue or even like a carved idol. Like, like we represent something. We reflect something. We reflect somebody. We, re- we image, reflect, and reveal God. Now did you notice it says, let us... Let us make humanity in our image. And so, we won't go into all the the details there, but as an observation, humans seem to be made in the image of a social God. And the way that I understand it is that humans reflect some sort of relational and communal likeness here. God is plural, yet one God. And of course, I'm referencing the Trinity, but but we're not we're not going to get a deep dive into the Trinity right now. God is plural yet one. There is one humankind yet male and female, okay? And so in addition to being made to reflect this, you know relational likeness, based on the context of Genesis one and two, Genesis is actually not super interested. In unpacking the human capacities like reason and emotion and language, as important as they are, the Bible has a lot to say about humanity. But if we, just look about, if we just look at Genesis 1 and 2, as we try to understand what does it mean, just based on this context, what does it mean to be made in the image of God, Genesis is interested in our function, our vocation. Aka, our work, our work. Now, a long time ago, if we were if we were ancients, we would hear other creation myths, creation account stories out there. Okay, we would hear stories about how the gods have created humanity for essentially to be slaves. We're we're made to serve the gods to be slave labor, and you know those. Lazy, no-good gods, right? But up against Yahweh's message to us, Genesis, the Genesis narrative is a radical story that says humans reflect God, and it says that we are made to rule. We are made to rule. There's four words I want to slow down and and pick at today. The first one is is this word for rule, r-radah. rule, reign, have dominion. The imagery behind radah, uh, it, it carries the con- connotation of, uh, it's actually kind of violent, it, like treading, um, trampling down, almost like a conqueror putting their foot on the neck of those who have been conquered. I am radah you. You know, it's like, that's intense language. But who rules? Royalty does. Right? This is royal vocabulary here. The next word to look at is kibosh. Put the kibosh on something. Have you heard that expression? To subdue, to keep under... The imagery behind Kabash it carries the images of like smashing or beating down a path. And so, so far, as image bearers, this project of ruling and subduing as we reflect God, you know, we, we, we reign and there's some sort of imagery here of kind of like beating down creation. And so, yes, it does kind of lean on the harsh and more violent side of, of things. But wait, there's more we turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, for example, verse 15, it says the Lord God made the Adam and then put the Adam in the Garden of, of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Our project of ruling and subduing and filling the earth, it comes with the initiatives of working it and Caring for it. So again, let's just slow down, take a look at two more words. Shamar, it means to keep, to guard, to protect, to preserve. It carries the connotation of being vigilant. Shamar is a good word. You might recall the part of Aaron's priestly blessing. May God bless you and keep you. May God bless you and shamar you. Absolutely, we want God to keep us and guard us and protect us and preserve us, conserve us, you know, just like shamar. And then there's this word that the NIV translates as work. Your translation might say cultivate or till or something like that. Abad, it means work, service, cultivation. Abad also means to worship. And putting this all together, again, as we try to understand Who we are, made in the image of God. Work is a big part of what it means to be human. But it's not just any type of work. We reflect the king of the universe. We are here to rule and reign, and we do so by serving, by protecting but we also get to cultivate and we subdue this wild earth. And as we reflect God and we go out and we fill up the earth with God's glory, it's all an act of worship. Friends, you are here for a purpose. God has chosen to partner with humanity. We are co-laborers with God. We collaborate with God. He is a God who who. He's a God who works through humans. He chooses to work through us, through you, through you. We are to go and make something of this world. And one way I like to think about it, if you think about being in the Garden of Eden, it's like, go make more garden. Eden means delight. Go make more delight so that, like, You're going to have a family, you're going to have a big family, you're going to need to make more more garden space. Go make more home. Let's pull along the boundaries of Eden. Go make something of this world. And guess what? All this ruling and subduing and cultivating and serving and protecting the earth, being a steward, in short, that's work. Work, again, work. And, and being human, like, work is such a big part of what it means to be human. And originally, it was all good. It's a delight. I recently heard the example, like, you know, when you take your kids trick-or-treating, and then they come home, and they dump out their bag, and then, like, they're, like, sorting their, their candy. Like, they're doing work. But it's, like, it's delightful. It, like Like, there's a sense of, like, yeah, this is mine, and I'm like I have ownership over it, and I'm taking care of it. This is my candy. I might need to save this, put it in the freezer. You know, like I'm going to eat this now. Like there, there's a there's a type of work. There's a, there's a, a, a freeing, exciting, delightful sense of work that's that's part of who we are as as being human. Now, next, we're still in chapter two, but we're going to go back a few verses. to And you just might be thinking Man, Genesis You had such an opportunity To give us more details on stuff we wanted to know Like, why did you tell us this? Okay, what we're about to read Listen in A river watering the garden flowed from Eden From there it was separated into four headwaters The name of the first Is the Pishon It winds through the entire land of Havilah, Where there is gold the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon; It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Ashur, And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Okay. Why do we have that information? In the land of Eden, there's a garden. Okay, the region is called Eden. And then there's a garden. And there's a river that waters the garden. And the river flows out of Eden and it separates into four into four rivers. Rivers point to fertility. Fertility is life. Rivers point to life. Probably lots of trees. Resources. And did you notice? Okay, this first river, it meanders through a land where there's good gold, aromatic resin, and onyx. Why do we have this? One author points out, and I, and I agree with this author, the earth is loaded with raw materials. If we are to make something of this world, we need to develop the craft of mining and timbering and agriculture and architecture and so on. Doing all of that requires work. I think Tim, Tim Keller's definition is great here. He describes work as this, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general, and people in particular, thrive and flourish. Work is good. Work means making more Eden, more delight, more thriving. We need people to build homes and highways, and we need farmers and musicians and poets and artists. We need people to make machines, and we need people to to make clothing and and sneakers, and we need teachers and cooks and electricians, coffee farmers and baristas. (laughs) And I just hope you're getting the vision here that originally work is supposed to be a beautiful thing. It's a big part of what it means to be human. We're made to rule and serve in such a way that we make meaningful culture, good and beautiful things. We make something of this world. And again, we reflect God. So wherever we go, as we make meaningful culture, we continue to reflect God. We enjoy and reveal God wherever we go, and it's good and beautiful. However, as important as ruling is, as important as our job is, it's not our core identity. When I was born, my parents looked at me, and they said, you're going to be named Cameron Lee Smith. Right? Identity was spoken to me. Identity comes from the outside. Okay. Before my identity became an inside reality, it had to come from somewhere. And I believe the same thing is is true with just our plain old humanness. God is the source of our identity. The ruling that we do does not give us our identity, but the ruler gives us our identity. We just need to be careful on that note. We are made to be with God, to be in relationship with God, to celebrate and enjoy, to simply just be. And you know who did an awesome job modeling this? Jesus. Jesus was so locked in with who he was and what he was supposed to be doing, doing the will of the Father. So life with God, partnering with God, reflecting and revealing God in the world, being a good steward, making culture, resting with God, taking time to Sabbath and worship God. It's just all so good. Now, next, going to verse 16 and 17 in Genesis 2. God commanded the man, you must. You, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, we are meant to do life with God. That's the way it's supposed to be. God invites us to trust him. Let God be God. We are humans. We're in relationship. We're trusting our creator. We're walking with him in the cool of the day. We could eat from any tree, but there's one that is off limits. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For short, I'm going to call it the tree of wisdom. Okay? Don't eat from the tree of wisdom. There's also a tree of life and a tree of wisdom. Apparently, I guess you could could eat from the tree of life if there was something you could eat. But don't eat from the tree of wisdom. Two trees. They both point to what God Only what God can give here. God is the source of life. God is the source of wisdom. Life and wisdom are gifts from God. And you know what? It will be very sad. It will be bad news if we seek life and wisdom apart or outside of relationship with God. And that's what happens in Genesis 3. That is the heartbreaking story of Genesis 3. Humans chose wisdom apart from God. They chose to to do their own thing. We, We chose to be outside of relationship of God. We did not trust God. We sinned. Sin enters the world. The Bible teaches being independent of God. It leads to ruin, destruction, death. The consequences of sin, death. So sin just wrecks everything. And we won't tell the whole story here. You can read about it in Genesis 3. But sin enters the world, and then God gives a few curses. These are judgments. God curses out the devil, the woman, the man, the ground. A few different curses, but I want to focus on Genesis 3. I'm going to read 17 and 19 here. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree he will return. Mike drop. Making more Eden is now painful toil. Thorns and thistles are now going to be in the mix. We have to eat plants from the field. Adam's like, wait, I have to plant potatoes every year. I have to like every year. I have to work the field now. We still have the calling of working, cultivating, but now it's just all distorted. And to be clear, work is not the consequence of sin. I don't know if that teaching has ever come across to you, your your discipleship, as you follow Jesus. If you've ever heard that that work is a bad thing, that work is a consequence of sin. No, that's not the case. Again, work is a good thing. It's just now messed up. We've Mess things up. Making home is now prone to anxiety and fear. Sin has stolen something from us. And so instead of purpose, we have pain and fear and, and struggle. And, and we're, we're just, we're always worrying, perhaps, that, that we're not going to have enough. The, the scarcity mindset is such a powerful force in our life. And you know, while we might not notice it at first, work and survival, it it becomes an idol. What we do becomes who we are. We become human doings. And that's even right there in the, the first batch of lies. The serpent said, hey, if you eat this, then you'll be. If you do, then you'll be. And now our hearts are filled with unbelief. We distrust God. And sin gives us this terrifying ability to turn every, anything and everything into an idol. We can turn anything into an idol, and, and we labor to, to be our own providers. And we think, hey, you know what? If, if work helps me to survive, well, let me be my own provider. I'll do more work so that I can survive even more. And work becomes a runaway train we end up worshipping work and sometimes we force others to work constantly that's another way of saying slavery we force other people to do what we want we worship what we do we worship our performance our achievement we worship what we what we make and the Apostle Paul was spot on. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. And as one author points out, work is not the problem. It's replacing God with work. That is the problem. Many of us, we become workaholics, even on our days off, even in retirement, even on vacation. It's there the drug. And of course, if we're not careful, our identity gets wrapped up around it. You may have heard this little saying like nobody on their deathbed thinks about the office. <laughs> they should have spent more time at the office. I was reflecting reflecting on how many of our last names are just straight up vocations. Smith Miller, Cooper, Fisher, Baker, Carpenter, Cook, Shoemaker, Schumacher. <laughs> Is your last name a vocation? Do you know? We get stuck in the hamster wheel of performance. And sometimes it feels good, because when, when we do good, that feels good, and then we're just going to get more of it. And then some of us, we have this internal report card, And we just grade everything, and then we get addicted to working, and we get addicted to pleasing people and feeling good, and we get the scales out, and we're like, okay, if I do good here, here's all the things I did bad, and and we start to weigh everything. If I can manage all this, that's not the gospel. That is exhausting. Trying to keep up with the Joneses. That's a problem. And I won't get into all the details about all the destructive work we have done throughout history. I mean, look at what we've done to this place. There's a lot of bad jobs out there. There's a lot of destruction, a lot of degrading jobs. We desperately need a restart. And so now here's the gospel. Jesus is the, the true restart for humanity. Jesus is the second Adam, the Bible describes him. A true representative of both God and humanity. Jesus was a worker. What did Jesus do? A carpenter, a craftsman, right? He worked with his hands. He took raw materials. He fixed things. He made things. Before he was a traveling rabbi, teacher, healer, right? He was a craftsman. But spiritually, Jesus, he takes the knot that Adam tied, and Jesus untangles it. And Jesus frees us from the bondage of sin and death. And on the cross, Jesus became a curse for us. On the cross, he wore a crown of thorns. I mean, the symbolism's right there. Right, friends? Like, Jesus redeems us. He restores our identity. And for those who are in Jesus Christ, we are made new. And that tarnished, tangled up calling that we had in Genesis, it gets restored more and more. And as we keep going to Jesus, as we keep giving our life to Jesus, he gives us brand new life, which means he restores our vocation. He restores our calling. He gives us a new voice to use in this world for for good things. Jesus restores the original partnership that we had with God Your purpose is restored. And that royalty, that sin tried to strip away, Jesus replaces it. You are an heir in the kingdom of God. You have inheritance, a birthright. And we reign because Jesus says so. And we are new humans and we have a second chance, Christians, at being good stewards again. And side note, you know, in Revelation chapter 5, there is a song that will be sung in heaven. God's people are kingdom. God's people are, are priests who serve God. And then it says that we will reign on the earth. How cool is it that the Bible begins and ends with us reigning on the earth? But you know what? The good news is we don't need to wait for the age to come before we start reigning we have a job to do right now. This is the day the Lord has made. Today, put your life into the hands of Christ. Put Christ at your center. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And as gospel-driven workers, we let Jesus, the author of life and wisdom, shape us how we work. We, how we think about work, how we do our work, how we rest from our work. And this is the point I want to drive at. You know, let Jesus show you the way. What we do for work might not be pretty or fun all the time, but the gospel restores our vision of work. We're made to be stewards, cultivators. to to shamar. the space that we go into. We do things, all things, for the glory of God. Now, if your work is not life-giving, if it's destructive, if it's abusive, if it harms people, if it harms the environment, etc., and so on, God might be saying, hey, you might need to change jobs. Because there's plenty of bad jobs out there. There's plenty of destructive and just degrading jobs out there. The world is filled with bad culture. But the good news is Christians, Christ followers, restored humans, the gospel compels us to go out and make new and good culture. And we do that by repenting and believing the good news. Following Jesus, listening for his spirit where we go. And so I invite you into the good news to follow Jesus. Go to Jesus, let him teach you how to be a good news cultivator, how to honor worship time, how to honor church time, how to honor community and and out time. Let Jesus show you the way. Whatever field or discipline or whatever station in life that you're in, if you're retired, working, a student, wherever you are in life, let Jesus show you the way. Again, we are the restored humanity. We need Jesus-shaped technicians, Jesus-shaped plumbers and electricians, and painters, and so on. We need Jesus-shaped parents and grandparents. Jesus-shaped lawyers and bankers. Jesus-shaped retail workers. Jesus-shaped police, firefighters, government workers. Jesus-shaped teachers, real estate agents, food service workers, and so on. Jesus says, I will show you how to make something of this world. Jesus shows us how to work. Jesus will also show us how to rest. So as we land the plane now, let us soak up this invitation from Jesus. One last passage as we close. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May we all go to Jesus with our whole selves, our home life, our church life, our work life, our rest life. We we go to Jesus, here's all of me. Here's my weariness. Here's all of my burdens. May we learn how to rest and how to work. May we yoke up with Jesus and learn his ways. May we learn his rhythms. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. (coughs) So there's more to say. We're going to continue continue on next week. But Jesus, he'll show us how to say yes to him and no to everything else. He will show us the way. And so may we follow the footsteps of our rabbi, the Lord of the Sabbath. Church, go and make something of the world. Let's pray.